Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Sanja Perez. And I'm here with the Pride Parade organizer. <laughs> We're laughing because of what was before this. And now you organize what for everyone in Greenwich Village and all of New York City knows the Pride Parade. It is one of the big parades in my neighborhood. I love it. Years ago, when my artwork was up in Crowbar, I marched in it. And it was a blast. And what brought me to you was that last year... Well, I could have come to you. I could have come to this organization any time. And I want you to tell us more about the parade and your role in it. What brought me here was that last year, the morning after, I just happened to go for a walk in Washington Square Park, which is I think of as my backyard, and it's a really big mess. And I took pictures of it and posted that and said to myself, I'm going to contact them. And it could have gone multiple ways. People could have said, you could have responded, we're busy. You could have responded, not my problem. But here I am talking to you, and this is our second conversation and uh, that's what brought me here. Maybe you could fill us in more. You know a lot more about this parade than I do, and certainly from the organizing side. Sure. I'm curious, if, can you tell us about the parade? And then maybe you could tell us about what brought you to it to become the executive director. Mm-hmm. Well, NYC Pride produces the march. We don't yet call it a parade. We call it a march because its origins are emerging from an activist movement and from the Stonewall Uprising. Uh, nearly 53, 54 years ago. Mm-hmm. So for us, the march is about celebrating our presence in the world, but also uplifting the issues that still are challenging our community and all segments of our community. So when I had the chance to serve as the first Latina executive director, I was like, yeah, this is really a way for me to give back to my community. I'm a native New Yorker, Bronx, Bronx born and raised. And also to really come in and fully bring all of myself to my work. So that's part of why I do Pride. And then in terms of what you and I have been discussing. Oh, before you go into that, now I have to ask, because you talk about Stonewall. And when I think of movements in my lifetime, Actually, Eric Botcher, who's now city councilman, openly gay, he's been on the podcast, and he talked about how when he was younger, people were talking about, what should we take on? Do we want to do something that will take 50 years? And he says, and two years later, it happened. I think he was talking about marriage equality, Uh, but it could have been any number of issues. And it's weird for me to think we're in your offices, and we're like two blocks from Stonewall. Yeah. And on the other side of it, I'm two blocks the other way. So it's like... A global movement started two blocks from my home a couple years, I mean, before I was born. But, I mean, was it really New York City, the community here? Was it going on elsewhere in the world, or did it really just all spark right here? Well, you know, I think I'm not a historian, but historians have pointed to this as really the flashpoint for the gay liberation movement, as it was called back then. And part of that had to do with the really horrific laws that LGBTQ folk were dealing with at the time. And really, Stonewall was the result of, you know, trans women who decided that they were through being harassed and bullied. Cops would just walk into bars, arrest people for no reason, just for the fun of it. There were a lot of laws that were very exploitative and very, um, well, I mean, they criminalize all, all forms of behavior. So they really, I guess, landed the first blow for liberation. And from that, the movement continued to evolve, not just about being one for our civil rights, but really about 
healthcare for our community, the AIDS crisis, you know, was one of those things that was a galvanizing moment for so many. And activist groups like ACT UP and the, the rest have all, you know, had a presence in the march. So, you know what I mean? We are continuing, I think, a long legacy of not just protesting, but really seeking to change how we per- we are perceived and how others perceive us. And so for me, when we talk about some of the issues that you're centered on in terms of sustainability, it feels like the right thing to be doing as well in terms of being at the forefront of what is possible. Yeah, that was when Eric mentioned, like we were thinking, what do we want to do for 50 years? And then two years later, that is a model. I mean, and yeah, I apologize for interrupting. But- and it took, it took a lot longer than two years. And qu- quite frankly, I mean, right now we are looking at bills that may undermine and legislative action that might undermine those gains that were established and that Eric Botcher is talking about. So I interrupted you because you were about to talk about your, I think it was going to be your coming to the organization and your vision. Well, my vision for the organization, and really it's uh, the vision, the collective vision of the board and its membership was to create a space and evolve the organization so that it can be more inclusive, really leverage its platform, not just during the month of June, but throughout the year to raise the visibility of our community, but also the needs of the most marginalized among us and really not just hold our uh, our corporate partners responsible, but ourselves accountable for being inclusive and being, you know, responsible citizens. How does it compare with the rest of the world? Is it, I mean, I presume this is the biggest march. Is that by far or is it? I think we may have uh, one or two international pride organizations that might uh, vie for the crown, but I, I am holding fast that we are the largest parade. How does that make you feel like to be, I presume everyone looks here for inspiration, for guidance, and, and for... Um, there are so many, you know, I mean, being in New York, there is just an abundance of really great organizations that have been able to do like very dedicated political and activist work. So I don't lay claim to any of that space, but I do think that Heritage of Pride, which is the other name by which we are known, has really tried to be great stewards. And that is part and parcel of our mission to be really good stewards of the legacy of Pride as well as as how it evolves. So the idea of joining an organization with such a rich history at such a critical time in our nation's history felt like the greatest challenge I might ever encounter. So that was part of the reason for joining. Now, you approach this the way, one of the things I find in effective leaders is that they like responsibility, they like accountability, and they look at challenges like a leadership challenge. People is almost by definition, we don't know how to solve it. So a leader isn't someone with all the answers. It's someone who helps, I mean, lots of different approaches, but to me, it's, it's helping form a team, align interests so that we collectively can get over the hurdle or get past it. So when you say at a critical time in our nation's history, I'm thinking big challenge. And were you thinking, and so I'd like the sound of someone who says the challenge was attractive to me 
maybe a bureaucrat might say, I don't want a challenge. I just want things simple. I just want things taken care of. Was it a gut check to take on the responsibility? No, it, it was something like something that I actively sought. I've always, you know, for me, doing mission driven work is kind of part and parcel of who I am, how I was raised. I was raised to give back. Um, I'm the product of first generation, you know, parents who came from Puerto Rico. And my father was a factory worker who became a union organizer. And I was raised in that movement. And my mom went back to school, educated herself. She started with the Head Start educational program and became an educator. So yeah, that embracing challenges is part of my DNA, I guess. Can you share a challenge, a story of something either before starting here or just or since you started here? Every day is a challenge here. <laughs> no, every day is a challenge. I mean, really trying to get a handle on an organization that is as old and established as NYC Pride is, is daunting on an easy day. Um, but really understanding that there are so many different facets of the organization that people aren't necessarily aware of is one of the other challenges. And then there are people who like the organization the way it was and want it to remain the same. And all things must evolve. So I think for me, the biggest challenge I've found here is figuring out how to navigate perceptions and also really learning what it is that people want us to preserve. Because I think people need to have a voice in things. And that's honestly one of the things that I think I like to bring to my leadership, which is how do we work collaboratively at this point? No, no enough to know. I don't know. I don't have all the answers and that's fine, but I love working on problems to get there. And it sounds like working with people. And it, it certainly seems like the mood here, I mean, anyone could tell we're weeks away from a huge event. So I can sense a bit of tension, or I mean, not tension, anticipation, but stress. All of those things. <laughs> it's nervous energy. It's excitement. It's, oh my gosh, we have in less than 15, well, no, maybe 20 days, we'll put on our first you know, events. Are you going to have a microphone and addressing the crowds and our other people? We do so many different events. I mean, the March is one of the things that people associate us with, but we also do Pride Fest, which is one of the largest street fairs in New York City. We also do a youth pride event for young people in Central Park Summer Stage. We also do a conference and a rally, all these things to kind of, uh, as well as parties and some other educational programming and film events that we put on throughout the month of June. So there's a lot happening, and we're hoping to capture at least the essence and the diversity of our community in doing these programs. That's a lot going on. It sounds very exciting. Yes. Now, I'm going to transition to, I mean, talk about sustainability. When I contacted you, I mean, I sent you that video, mm -hmm. and I sent you the pictures, and that linked to the story overseas. And it was no secret. It's not, it's public information. What was it like seeing that? And how did you decide to respond how you did and bring me here? Well, I think you sent an email to a couple of us in the organization. Yeah. And 
I try never to ignore my email. I have a lot of email, but anytime somebody says, look at how Washington Square Park was left after Pride. First thing I wanted to know, were we responsible for that? And if so, what could we be doing differently or better? And, and as you and I have discussed, we use that as a launch pad really to just kind of make sure, hey, what are we doing in terms of safety and sustainability? Um, there have been a couple of Pride organizations, and I want to say Toronto Pride is the one that comes to mind that made a commitment to be 100% sustainable. They wanted to be really responsible and live into their values as an organization. And we were like, that's a great model. Are, what are we doing? Are we you know, I think you and I have talked about, it's like, where do you start? And so we just decided the two things we really wanted to make sure that people experienced this time out was a safe pride experience and also a sustainable pride experience where we are taking more responsibility for how we leave the city and um, how we interact with our environment. I'm looking forward to that. And I mean, Primarily, I mean, someone who's a parade goer for decades and someone who lives here in this neighborhood and on this earth. And so I've suggested one of the things I started talking to you about my method. Mm -hmm. And this was a month ago, three weeks ago, I forget how long it's been. And we started doing the method. And so regular listeners of this podcast know the process, but they didn't hear your answers because we didn't record. But then we said, well, let's, the second time we talk, why don't we record and hear how it went? Sure. And we could talk about what the, parade is doing, but let's get personal. When I asked you what the environment meant to you, do you remember what you said? You know, I, having been raised in the concrete jungle, right, of, of the Bronx, where there's very little green space, where there is concentrated green space in small areas, you know what I mean? When I think about the environment, I don't necessarily think about New York. I think about Puerto Rico, which is where my family's from originally. I remember more than that, because what you told me, I've shared with many people. About it was, smelling? It was, it was so tangible, yeah. So visceral, so um, sensory. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of that's really part of your method, right? When we were talking about environment, the first thing I talked about was the fact that I remember one of my first visits to Puerto Rico, I associate the smell of the earth with the color green because it was one of those things that was so evident when um, this was back in the days when you actually got off the plane on the tarmac. So, you know, you weren't going into an air conditioned environment and all I could feel was smell the earth and the greenness around me. And I was like, oh, this is what the color green smells like. And that has been something that stayed with me. I was doing this exercise with someone else and they said, this won't make sense to you, but you know, this smell of green. And I was like, actually, <laughs> you're not the first person to say that. And you were the first person I heard it from. And as soon as you said it, I was like, that, I can smell it. I can almost feel it. And you also talked about, can you tell me more about spending, I mean, you talked about your grandmother oh, yeah. and throwing stuff on the ground, not litter, but like. Well, literally, fertility. I mean, my grandma, you know, had a little patch of, if I think about it now, it was a tiny little home and but basically very poor person, but really she was very, uh, an abundant gardener. And so I remember being shocked by the fact that she would 
take scraps or the remains of any of our food and, you know, return it back to the earth. I was like, what is that about? We throw away our waste in a, a, a garbage chute. And that's when they used to burn garbage, right? So spending time with my grandmother taught me that the earth gives you back things. It's a relationship that you can have. So yeah, I grew up being able to with a, a person who was able to look at her backyard and tell you which which fruit were ripe and which vegetables we'd eat because she was we were either knocking them off the tree or pulling them up from the ground. Oh man, now I'm thinking of mangoes right off the tree in Puerto Rico. That must have been as oh, good as well, it gets. mangoes are, are great. You know, if you go during uh, the season when mangoes are ripe and there's a brainstorm, because there always is, you can just stop and pick up fruit. And I have done that many a time. And I'm going to cry. Don't cry. <laughs> From the just learn how to swim yeah, or, or, sail. or sail. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to go off script a bit here because... When we're talking about the parade and we're talking about organization and, and people being responsible and how do we get the message out to 2 million people, then when the message is don't litter, that's one thing. If the message is, you know, for you, this is the, the challenge. When you're talking about the rainforest, you're talking about your grandmother, you're talking about throwing stuff on the ground and it's going to grow. Mm -hmm. That's a different message than don't litter. It's... And that's what I'm trying to get across is most people, I think, associate when they think about the environment, when they think about sustainability, they think about being told the earth is going to fry and we're all going to die and you better not mess up. And I'm trying to get out there that there's everyone I talk to, there's this often from childhood, but certainly deep inside of feeling of this is worth, this is what life is about. Well, yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that our conversations have have made me feel better about is the fact that, especially I think institutions or even individuals, we tend to just say, well, it's not going to make a difference if I do it, or I'm not doing it right. I may not, you know, and we will not. I can guarantee you we're not going to do everything right this year. But we've started, and that's a big part of the process. And I think to your point about scolding people, about cleaning up, you know, we just published and shared our safety and sustainability plan for all of our events this year, and we made them public because, and they're worded so, here's what we're going to do. This is what you can do. Bring, bring a refillable container we will have water stations for you. Just by doing that, we knock out how many water bottles. These are the things you can do to be responsible when you go enjoy our march, you know? So really, I think it's one of those things about demonstrating your pride is by also demonstrating your pride of place and keeping the environment that we use as pristine as possible. I hope that a lot of people get to listen to this so that they also get this feeling of their grandmother and their rainforest, which might not be a grandmother, it might not be a rainforest, but so that there's something intrinsic motivating them. You know, that's, so far I, I do this with a lot of individuals and I want to get to the next stage of how would it get it out to 2 million people at once so that they all feel personally intrinsically motivated. So it's not just bring your own water bottle, mm -hmm. uh, non-disposable, but that, you know, for me, it's my sledding hill. I mean, it's lots of other things as well now. 
It's like, think about how you're getting there. Think about, you know what I mean? There are different ways to, as our, our conversations have illustrated to me, there are so many different ways to make those changes. Once there's that mindset shift, it becomes like going downhill. It's the other side of a cusp. It's like, it's easier to keep going than it is to go back. Yeah. So after I asked you about the environment, then I invited you to think of something you could do to act on it. Do you remember what it was? Well, we were talking about gardening. Uh-huh. And I did. <laughs> okay, so what did you commit to? What did I commit to? I committed to putting my hands in the soil, and I had not. I am a, a gardener, a lapsed gardener, but after we talked, I was like, yeah, you know, I guess I'm ready to commit to gardening. It was such a great it continues to be such a joyful experience, right? I'm planting some, I've planted vegetables. I've really kind of looked at the older garden that I have inherited. And it's like, wow, like, look at these things. They're already, they're so mature. And really just kind of having a conversation with my environment now in a really, in a very interesting way. And, uh, yeah, that's thanks to you. Can you clarify what the... Uh, the conversation what, is? Yeah, the conversation or some of the plans. Well, honestly, doing this type of work is pretty stressful. You go in, if it's not Zoom calls or being in front of a computer screen, et cetera, et cetera, it's really easy to lose track of time and just kind of get detached from environment. And so for me... Even after our first conversation, I was like, oh, yeah, I planted stuff, and I hear more birds every morning. Because what? They're, they're in the garden, and they're doing what they do because I put something out for them. And there's this wonderful interaction. I also, and I don't know if I shared this with you, but I have a mom who has dementia. And, you know, she is having such a great time because I kind of committed to gardening. I was like, you know, you need to help me plant. And these are things she can do and enjoy. And she can sit out there and she can enjoy that interaction. And it's just another way of being with the environment, which has always been there. Am I going to get to eat any of these vegetables? Uh, I may make you some pesto. As long as it's vegan? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I know how to do that. I can't wait. And uh, what's well, the emotional experience? And not just of the gardening, but also when you commit. I mean, you hinted at this. When you committed, it sounds like there's a bit of... Well, you know, I'm a person who, as you know, I kind of relish responsibility. But there are times I need to, I don't know how to turn that off. And I have found that being able to just consider myself a part of the environment as opposed to marching through. You know, I don't even know how to describe it. It just feels like there's less of a divide between me and what the environment I'm in. You know, I, it just feels a lot more interactive. I'm aware of my impact on it and its impact on me. So awareness, can you name the, can you name the emotions? Actually, there's a lot of, I would say, peacefulness that I feel around that, um, simply because I think 
You know, it's very easy to go around being in your head, or at least for me, I go in my, I'm in my head a lot. And being able to step back and tune into something that reminds me, oh yeah, I'm a really small piece of this little, I'm a little grain of sand in this environment. Is that humility? It's funny to say, like, I'm small, it's a good thing. Our oh my culture gosh, says yeah. The other. Well, yes, right? Because, I mean, if you think about the messaging we get, it's, it's always about dominating your environment. That's the biggest narrative I remember as a kid in all the movies, right? Like, you, we're going to take this over and make it civilized, whatever that means. So for me, it is also just kind of saying, oh, that's right, I am... I'm just an entity, the same way this shrub is an entity. And because it's doing its thing, I get to do my thing in terms of breathing. And that's a great, it's not asking anything more of me than not to kill it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's a very simple equation. It's lovely to hear. How about relationships with others? I mean, you mentioned your mom. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, I am a nicer person once I put my hands in soil. Mm. And and I I thought about you a lot. I was like, I can't believe I did it because I am a responsible person. I was like, oh, I have an appointment with Josh, and we're going to talk about my commitment to gardening. So I have to do this. And, of course, the minute I started, I was just like, Josh, who? (laughs) It was just like, oh, yeah, my old friends, dirt. And roots and fun things that you get to discover when you're looking at small things in with new eyes, you know? I want to ask a lot more questions. I know our time is tight. Is this actually a quick question? Did your experience in the garden connect you? Did our conversation preceding it lead the gardening to be a different experience than it would have been otherwise? Yes, because I was experiencing the garden as another set of responsibilities that I had and one that I didn't always have time for as opposed to actually this is an opportunity to disconnect and to be responsible to myself and to just be and that's been a big difference for me anyway I'm hearing calm reflection and just um, a real sense of gratitude that I can do this, and the earth will give me something back. So here's what I want to close on. This might be a whole other topic, but that feeling that that you felt as an individual, Mm -hmm. will that permeate the march? Oh, gosh, I hope so. I mean, I think part of my conversations with anybody and anyone who will listen is that we want this pride experience to be safe for everyone. We want it to be something that they are not just proud of. It's not just about having a party. It is about lifting up ourselves and each other. And for me, that also speaks to how we want to be treated and then how we have to treat our environment and others around us. So, right? It feels like a pretty clear line, like there's a through line in it for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of how to... The challenge I, I propose we take on is to bring the transition of what you talked about, an obligation 
a responsibility isn't bad. And yet what you had instead, I think you liked a lot more. Oh, absolutely. Because, it, you know, I think we look at it and the way it has been presented to us, the issue has been presented to us, has been very, yeah, it's, it, it relies on negative reinforcement rather than positive reinforcement. It doesn't say, you know, like nobody ever says, hey, Sandra, if you take 30 minutes today just to water your plants, you're going to feel a lot better. You're going to observe something you haven't seen before that may help you solve a problem that you're working on in the back of your mind because your mind's going to be quiet enough to listen for the answer. I think that is something that collectively we should and can commit to. So when I think about what our plans are, I'm hoping it will become an interactive dialogue about, oh, okay, this was a good starting point, but these are the other ways that we might be able to do this. And it's not limited to how we leave Washington Square Park or just cleaning up after ourselves. It's really about how we want to show our pride through our work with the environment and sustainability. I'm really interested to hear how this manifests itself in the parade this year, next year, the following year, and, and sorry, March. And not just this year. And I don't know if you call me, I caught myself before too. And not just in June, but all year round. Yeah. And so I propose, can we hear, can I bring you back for after the parade, after the march? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Partly because I want to hear how this experience, I believe that leadership, people say, can one person make a difference? But when someone's at at a leverage point, when someone's an executive director, how they behave and how they interact and how they manifest and permeate how the message goes out can really make a difference. I'm curious to hear how that goes. Also, I know that if you're coming back, then that accountability, yeah, you probably would like it. I, yeah, no, and, and, and I think the team is pretty, one person on staff has been really uh, key in, in kind of spearheading the effort for us because it's not just, sustainability, but it's also, you know, we're looking to make sure that we've made our events accessible to people. What does that look like? What kind of feedback are we going to get? I mean, I think the hardest part of taking a step like this is that you're always worried about the blowback because people will say, oh, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And so part of the process here has been like, hey, we won't do this all correctly the first time out. And we're going to get feedback that may not be so positive, but that's okay because we're engaging in a dialogue. So for me, it's about incremental change and doing that consistently so that we can, that's how you measure progress. That's how you enact change and, and then empower other people to take those same measures because they know you're going to stick to it. I'd love to keep going. That might be a great place to close. Is there anything else you want to close with or anything you want to say to the listeners? Please come out and show your support for Pride and clean up after yourselves, people. We have a beautiful city and we need to kind of maintain it. And the other part I would also say is that it's been a real pleasure talking with you. I think what you're doing is important and I'm happy to be a part of it. I can say the same to you, and I'm happy to be part of it. And I look forward to working together for this beautiful neighborhood and community. And 
what you said about the green, the smell of green has just hit me and it stuck with me. Sanja Perez, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.